0: You are listening to episode two of Exit the Drinking Life podcast. This one is awesome. It's an interview I did with my sister, Holly Scott, who is a cognitive therapy therapist, and she specializes in helping people with social anxiety. It's also one I did before the name change was necessary. However, the content and the information in it is too vital for me to eliminate, because many of us start drinking to help us with our social anxiety. So I have chosen to leave this one up. Yes, you might hear me talk about sober curious in here. However, I am allowed, we are allowed to use the words. So I have chosen to leave it because the content is vital. You'll also notice that the volume isn't at its best. However, it's information that I really, really want you to have. So knowing this up front, I want you to Give us some grace and turn up your speakers a little and turn them down a little and work with the audio on this so that you can take in and absorb and utilize the information that you need from this episode. Are you finding yourself drinking way more alcohol than you ever thought you would? Are you looking for a way to make alcohol an irrelevant part of your life? Then stay tuned. Because my name's Debbie Talbert, and I've been right where you've been, and each week I'm going to bring you episodes, hoping you to do just that—make alcohol irrelevant in your life.
1: Today we have a guest with us, and she's been on this show before, and on the podcast before. And I'm super excited to have her back for two reasons: one, she's my sister, and I love getting to see her, getting to see her, and hang out with her, and talk with her on these topics; and two, because we're going to be covering social anxiety. But before we get into that, I would like Holly to introduce herself a little bit so people can get a background. If you didn't hear the previous episode, and get to know a little bit about her and what she brings to us and how and why you should listen to her on this topic of social anxiety. So
2: hey,
1: yeah. take it away.
3: Sure. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be on here too, um, partly because of... Uh, I like to talk about social anxiety, but for the same, I'm also because you're my sister, and I get to chat with you on the internet. So, um, yeah, I I am a cognitive behavioral therapist, um, a licensed professional counselor in Texas. I um, founded and am cur- currently a, a therapist with Uptown Dallas Counseling. My areas of expertise are anxiety disorder treatments, but I have a particular interest in treating social anxiety. Um, And that came about primarily because the population that I treat is um, typically 25 to 35 years old. And they come to me for different aspects of anxiety, but also they come to me a lot for help with job performance related, things you know like should i switch jobs um I, I don't know what you know where should i go in my career those types of questions kept coming up but then once we would get into that area the idea that the um social anxiety diagnosis kept coming up because people like a perfect example would be someone was unhappy in their job but they were Really afraid to do interviews, and and so that's you know a form of social anxiety that they they felt like um, they, they they couldn't perform well in an interview and they would not be able to get a job and so they were stuck in where they were and and you know different aspects of that in terms of of how this social anxiety kept coming up in the workplace uh, for people that um who I, you know, for for people that I was treating so. Um, that's how I got interested in it. Um, And I'm a a board member for the National Social Anxiety Center. And we're a group of 16 um, different um, therapy centers around the country who specialize in making sure that information gets out to the public and also other therapists on using evidence-based treatments to help people out with social anxiety.
1: Okay, awesome, awesome. So with that, what exactly is social anxiety?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So, there's I, I like to define social anxiety as having four different elements. Um, the first one is the cognitive part, meaning it's you know what we what we think about situations, and it's the it's primarily comes from a fear of judgment. So so when people have social anxiety, they their their fears are criticism by other people, they feel like they're going to be rejected by other people, and they feel like they're going to have, be embarrassed. But a combination of things create social anxiety because a lot of people have that fear, right? You know, I mean, right. most of us do, you know, have some level of fear when we're getting ready to, let's say, do a, a public, you know, do some public speaking, for example. But if we, you know, the problem with people who have social anxiety are become crippled because they 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 have their thoughts on uh, their ability to handle that fear or to cope with that fear. Fear are are so um, detrimental to them that they become frozen. So on the thought side of it, it's you have a fear of judgment, and then you. So you fear that, and then, but then on top of that, you believe that you won't be able to handle it um, if something happens, and uh, you know you do make a mistake while you're performing. So that's one part of it, and then what then what happens is the once once what people have that fear, then some behavioral things start to happen, and by that I mean. They start using some some coping techniques that are like isolation, you know, they don't go to parties, they make excuses. Um, Avoidance is really, really common. Um, They, you know, they will give up um, opportunities for advancement in the workplace because moving up the ladder involves more you know talking with more people doing more presentations type things um and so that's you know that's a behavioral aspect of it on the emotional side you know people who use that the um the um coping technique of isolation uh, depression comes along with that pretty quickly. So you've, so you've got this you know, fear, this avoidance of any type of interacting with other people. And oftentimes that can lead to depression, because we know that one of the most um, beneficial mood elevators um, out there are you know, c- connecting with other people. And so when you, if you've got social anxiety, then you limit your connections with other people. Um, on the emotional side, again, it's it's you know social anxiety can lead to um, depression, it can lead to generalized anxiety because you start um, generalizing your your anxiety related to performance situations to other aspects of your life. Um, and then then the most common, uh, emotion that people describe to me when they're dealing with social anxiety, or a sense, a sense of worthlessness, hopelessness, and what I hear so often is, "I am a failure." Um, and then the last part I want to talk about in terms of the definition of social anxiety, it always comes with physical sensations and. It's they vary from person to person, but one of the, you know, some of the things that are really common are heart palpitations. I mean, you know, um, sweaty palms blushing some people get chest pain nausea stomachs upset. um, You know, your throat can constrict, you can get dry mouth. There's a lot of different things that can come along with that, but what I want to say now after, you know, sort of talking about how detrimental so- social anxiety can be is, is I think it's important that people recognize that some social anxiety is healthy. D- does that make sense?
1: Um, yeah, it does. I mean, but what you're saying is a person that has the, where they would actually need to seek out treatment is uh-huh. because along with like these thoughts they have, because of course, you know, because sometimes I even just doing recording a podcast, I'm going to have, I have some of that come up for me. Right. However, I don't feel anything physical in my body. Like I'll have the thoughts, uh-huh. but I don't really feel like there's something happening physically inside my body. Right. So when it's actual, the social anxiety where they need to seek treatment is where physical things are also going on, on top of the thoughts that they're having
2: yes. around,
1: yeah. like you know, The embarrassment and the judgment and the rejection.
2: Right,
3: right. Exactly. Because there is, um, um, you know, when you think about anxiety and where it comes from. I mean, evolutionary, evolutionary wise, um, they, um, it's it we anxiety is it prevents us from hurting ourselves right and so you know the idea being that um, if your brain senses danger then your brain is trained to send signals to other parts of your body it's that fight or flight response so if you signal so so the reason we we get those physical responses sometimes is because our brain is trained from that and so it's it used to be very helpful when we were you know running from animals and you know needed needed those types of responses to not be killed but in our in our society today those physical responses can be really detrimental and and counterproductive and so part a big part of social anxiety treatment is learning to recognize those physical symptoms and being the combination of being okay with having those. For example, if you're, if you know that you blush all the time, when you talk, we do some, you know, experiments in my office where we help people learn to be okay with blushing by saying things like, Oh, don't mind me. I, you know, I tend to blush when I feel a little nervous and I'm just kind of feel a little nervous right now and recognizing that that's a perfectly okay response.
1: Okay. Okay okay because so for me mine is i tend to laugh Uh uh-huh and i have the you know i don't have the blushing but i do have i have a tendency to laugh right and sometimes when it's really not a funny thing but it's my nervousness right coming about yes okay okay yeah okay as i'm laughing now (laughs) so okay but okay then how do you actually treat for social anxiety Like, how would you, I mean, because I know that sometimes, like, on this topic and our, like, our focus is on people that are, you know, um, curious about their life with less alcohol in it. Do you find that people kind of self-medicate themselves to kind of maybe survive an anxious situation with, uh, of course, alcohol, but also probably other substances? Yeah, absolutely.
3: Right. I mean, think about it. It is probably the most self-medicated disorder, right? Because, I mean, that's the way we're set up is, is you know, if you if you have social anxiety and you're going to a party, um, it's extremely common to, you know, so, so think about you walking in. If you make a beeline for the bar, not only you, you can, you have some place you're going, so you don't have to talk to, you know, you don't have to start talking to people. You're like, okay, I'm going to go to the bar. Right. So I'm going to kind of put my head down and get in line if there's a line at the bar and then set right. so up time. Right. Then you get your drink, you know, and you're holding your drink. And for, for a lot of people, it becomes just, you know, part of like holding a drink is like their little safety thing, you know, because, part of thing that's common with social anxiety is, is, uh, you know, your palms, you're, you blush, or your, um, and your palms sweat, and so by holding a drink, it's sort of like this little little uh, safety thing, you know. And then, what, then once for a lot of people, then once they start drinking, then the the their thoughts, right, their fears and their thoughts go away because that's, right. that's a, 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 an effect of alcohol. And then once those fears and thoughts go away, then they feel better. But the reason. It, if that that type of coping becomes such a vicious cycle for people with social anxiety is that they're as soon as they become sober again their fear of judgment just just um comes back twofold right because then they just start thinking once either that night when they become sober or the next morning they're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I say? Not that they don't remember, but this, oh, I remember I, I was too loud. I shouldn't have said this to that person. I mean, that's a classic social anxiety symptom, which then it becomes a suspicious cycle because then then they don't want to go, they, then they think, okay, so the alcohol didn't work well for me. And now I really don't want to go to a party if I can't drink alcohol to do it. So I'm just going to stay home.
1: Okay, so they find themselves isolating themselves even more exactly from people okay and so when you go about and when you now is it hard for someone to actually even get like they diagnosed with social anxiety is it where a lot of times it's just kind of blown off of like oh you're just nervous about the situation don't worry about it or like what kind of steps or like how would a person know to even seek out say therapy you know therapy help yeah
3: that's a great question because it's really common that um, sometimes people will say, Oh, well, well, you're just an introvert, right? So that's how you are and that's how you're always going to be. And if some, when someone hears that, that that's basically you're telling them, you know, they're, they're really, people with social anxiety are really suffering on a lot of different levels. Like I talked about before. And so if, if even, you know, a doctor or a medical professional says, well, you know, you're just an introvert and you're shy, then it's, then they, and, and so there's nothing really wrong, it's just how you are, then that person is gonna think, oh so there's nothing i can do and so that's why i think it's so important the more information we get out there about the diagnosis of social anxiety because it it does respond so well to a specific type of treatment that includes cognitive behavioral therapy so one thing that i think would be really helpful for your listeners. And if you want to um, put the details, I think it'd probably be good for you to put the details of this in your podcast notes, but there's a a, um, a self-assessment that you can do online. It's, I think it's 24 questions. It's called the Leibowitz Scale. And, and what it does is, um, it will, um, it's a, you know, will ask you to answer questions about how you respond to different situations, and there are two categories. One is fear because that's a big part of it, and then the other one is avoidance. and And so, just to give you some examples of what's on there, so what they ask you to do is how often do you either have fear or avoidance of using a telephone in public. That's just number one. And then you write that whether I have no fear at all, or um, I have severe fear. And and then this, you do the same thing with avoidance. And, you know, another one is eating in public. Another one is, um, you know, writing while being observed. There's all this, like I said, there's 24 different ones. And then it will give you actually, at right as you're doing it, a result where the, your score will give you a, a tiered response where you have no social anxiety, mild, moderate, marked, severe, or very severe. And so the idea being that in any, you know, anywhere in the moderate social anxiety or above, um, you, you can get you, um, really a lot of relief by seeking treatment from someone who's trained in treating the disorder.
1: Okay. Okay. I will put that in a link to that directly in the show notes. I'll do that. So um, you guys can um, find the implement in at the sober and I'll have a link in there. And then, um, but then, so how would, what are some of the treatment plans? Like how would you actually treat someone with social anxiety? I think it's awesome for people to go ahead and try to take that because if it's not really social anxiety, then at least, you know, you can work on just your thoughts and maybe not necessarily seek treatment. But I think it's also giving you some insight into why some of the things happening for you are happening. And there is a way to seek help.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think
1: that's where, it's you know. Exactly. That's where the critical difference is. And it's just exactly. kind of, well, because it's very similar to what I'm like on this, like the, the shaming and the naming and the labeling of people just because they don't want to drink anymore.
2: Oh, it's the same
1: thing that causes people not to even address it when they, when they know clearly in their life, like, this is causing me a problem. Right. right. Like whether you are want to be labeled alcoholic or not alcoholic, whatever, it's just like, it's not
2: working for me. Uh-huh.
1: But because of the shame and the label, you might not even seek help with that.
2: Right. And
1: so I think that, you know, it's, it's awesome to spread, you know, kind of just let people know at least, you know, via the internet in the quiet of their own home, take the little test and then go, oh, Okay. I am going to go see someone because this is what's going on for me.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, Yeah. That's why, um, I want to talk some about how the treatment works because depending on your level of social anxiety, a, a lot of these things that, that I do with, with clients in sessions you can do on your own, you know, I mean, there's such great, there, there's so many great apps and, um, other, um, things available, you know, via the internet out there that can help with different parts of this of the treatment plan for social anxiety. Because the very first one is we what we want to try to do is is when people are in a you teach conversational skills right and so and by that i don't mean you know like social skills that's that's kind of a different thing and oftentimes people get social anxiety confused with lack of social skills and they're very different right so there's a lot of you know books you can read about social skills training like how to ask questions about other people you know that type of thing but that's different from social anxiety and and so what happens with people with social anxiety, when they do enter a conversation with someone, they're in their head, right? They're thinking, um, what am I going to say next? You know, they're not in the conversation; they're in their head. How do I look? Do they notice? I think they. She thinks I'm stupid because I'm. She can tell my hands are shaking. She thinks there's something wrong with me, right? That's and so what we want to try to do is we teach what's called curiosity training in the very beginning, and that and that's a, that's a process by where we we help people stay in the conversation. And there's different ways that we do that. We do different experiments, but one of my favorite ones is there's a, um, um, a tape that you can listen to where you try to, it's literally training your brain to focus on a sound while while uh, blocking out all the other sounds right and so it's you can train your brain like there's there's different ones but the one one I like is there's you're at a bar it plays it plays sounds of being at a bar so there's all these different conversations that are really loud around you and then someone's talking on the tape and your you, your your goal is to listen to just that while blocking out all the other conversations that are around you another thing that i do with clients is we do some role plays Uh, group therapy is one of the best ways to treat social anxiety. So, so if you have another person, what you do is you have two people trying to have a conversation and I stand behind one of them and I say things to them at like, I am their thoughts. And I say things, you know, I'm standing behind them and I say, um, Oh no, your hands are shaking. Like, don't you think she thinks you're stupid and teaching, teaching them to block out those things. And while they're having a conversation and it's really fascinating that that it is, you really can train your brain to focus on a certain thing and also block out other things. So that's, that's really step number one. Um, Does that make sense in terms of like what what the benefits of that would be in terms of, you know, helping people stay focused?
1: Uh, Actually, yes, totally. And then as you're describing it and saying what people might do, I'm like, oh my God, that was me like five years ago. Uh I would be in conversations, but my brain was in the like, okay, what is she thinking about me? Like I would not really be at a conversation. Exactly. Because... I was too worried about in my head what other people might be thinking about me.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean,
1: so who knows? Maybe I did have social anxiety and I worked my way through. I don't know. By doing coaching itself, you know, but I just think like, oh my god, that was exactly me. Right. In right. Convers- and of course you can't you're totally not connecting with anybody because yeah. you're not really hearing anybody.
3: Exactly. Think about how hard that is, you know, to like, to yeah, have intense conversation in your head while you're also trying to converse with someone else. And then, and, and the person who's in their head is always be always like, oh no, now I don't know what she said. Now she's really going to think
1: I'm stupid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was that was me totally. Oh my God. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So,
0: okay,
1: so, can, so what are some of the other things that you do?
3: Yeah. But I just, before we move on to that, you know, along the lines of people being able to do treatment at home, because like you said, I mean, some people have, the symptom like like what you described, but you may have not had, have had full blown social anxiety. You may have had that you know, that cluster of symptoms. And so there are a lot of different mindfulness, and I know that's a big buzzword these days, but there are a lot of different apps that you can find on your phone that will teach you curiosity training and mindfulness. And that's exactly what that is. And, and I, I don't really recommend a certain one because I encourage my clients to uh, spend time exploring around and because I found that certain things work well for certain people. Right. So like some conversation, some people like, you know, listening to a certain tone, but the idea that being that you can train your mind to block out, um, um, intrusive thoughts is that's a very real thing and so you know looking around under the under the title of mindfulness on apps is i think is something that that is really useful for people that they can do um if they are not ready to you know seek out therapy
1: okay okay awesome okay so so what are some of the other things that like some of the other ways that you can get you know help themselves at home at least
3: yeah, so then what we want the next thing that we try to do is we try to, to explore different um, cognitive distortions, is what we call them, that people have. And so for someone with social anxiety, it's it's extremely common that they have these beliefs about themselves, that they're, they're failures, they're worthless, no one wants to talk to me, why would anybody want to talk to me? And so the first way is we want, we try to identify what those thoughts are going with you know what thoughts what those thoughts are going through your head, and so what I ask clients to do, and people can do this at home, is is um, you know think about the last time you had a conversation with someone, or think about you when you were at a party, and um or and what thoughts went through your head, and, and to try to help them identify the difference between thoughts and feelings, and and so. Usually they'll they'll say, oh well, I was nervous, and you'll say. Then you ask you ask him to say, okay, what what created the nervousness for you? You know, because just standing in a room by itself, there's no you know that does not create nervousness. What creates the nervousness are your thoughts about standing in a room with you know with a lot of other people, and so you want to get them to be able to say, okay, so I was standing there, and, and we, we can do visualization exercises a lot with this, where you ask them to, you know, remember the last time you went to a party, and close your eyes, and think about, okay, I walked in the room, and then, you know, get them to really describe what they saw, and then, and then I prompt them, or say, so what were you thinking? And that's what creates the nervousness. And and those thoughts are very commonly, um, that group doesn't want me to talk to join them. That group looked at me and said, and they're laughing at me. Um, That group over there, she, she looked over and then she changed her body language completely to shut me out, right? And teaching them that these are the thoughts that are creating the nervousness and then teaching them how to challenge those thoughts because there's two different types. There's two different types of thoughts. Some are true, but very often they're not true. Right. And so you, so you first have to teach them how to separate those two. And so you want to, so, so what is your evidence that that's true? You know, so the, a very common one is you're in a big um you're trying to join a group or thinking about joining a group of people you don't know and they start laughing and a person with social anxiety almost always will go to, they're laughing at me. Where very often they have absolutely no evidence that they're laughing at that person. Right. And it's almost right. always not true. So teaching them how to challenge that, you know, so why do you think that's true? And then, but there, you know, and then, and then changing your, you know, behaviors related to that, but then, okay. so the other side of it. but sometimes it is true that, that people are behaving that way. Right. And there right. are, there are cruel human beings in the world. And part of, you know, learning how to live happily as an adult includes, how do you deal with that? And that's that. So that's, it's an exercise that um, is very—it's very commonly used among cognitive behavioral therapists called assertive defensive self. Um, and so, I know we haven't—we didn't talk about this in advance, but mm-hmm. um, we could do a role play of this if you want. Um,
1: okay. Sure. okay, I'm a part. Okay. <laughs> I just... Let me check my thoughts. No, I'm okay. just kidding. <laughs> well, but I want to like because what I talk to people a lot about is is their thoughts, and uh-huh. like and exactly what you're saying though, is okay. when I'm working with people too, I come about where you'll ask them, and they don't, and we're so not aware of what our thoughts are
2: exactly
1: we're only aware of like we're in this room, and then we had this feeling, right, but we're not aware of the critical part, which is the thought that we had in our brain that totally led us to that feeling
2: exactly.
1: that we're having and that's where the you know so i encourage people a lot to do what i call thought download yep. and just kind of get up and download all the stuff that's going on in your head even just in the morning right even not in a situation just so you can start practicing the awareness of what am i actually thinking
2: yep
3: exactly
1: because you got to start because i think that's a start too is you got to start somewhere practicing even figuring out what are you actually thinking exactly
3: right and that that is the, the you know the crux of co- of cognitive therapy right is the idea right. of teaching people that like what you did exactly what you do right which is identifying the thought but as as you you know with your clients it's 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 difficult for for many people it was for me when i first started learning how to do this it's like it's, um, separating out the thought from the emotion right and, right, and yeah. it takes a lot of work which is not a bad thing I mean it's good and so and so like you know finding different ways like you described I'm, I'm sorry what was the term you used to do it do a thought download is that what you said or
1: right you're just downloading all your thoughts on the paper yeah just Oh, that's perfect. random not like a journal or anything just um, randomly just putting them out
3: yep exactly yeah. exactly yeah. and then and then the next step of that, which I'm sure you do too, is then you say, okay, what's an alternative thought in a, in, a, in any given situation, right? And so, right. for example, the one that I did about they're laughing at me, um, teach yourself to say when, because that's going to be an automatic thought, right? That's going to pop into your head first because human beings are creatures of habit, you know? And so you know that that's going to happen when you're in a crowded room. And so teach yourself an alternative response, which is, um, would be something along the lines of, we would, we would identify this and and practice it in, in sessions, but something along the lines of, um, why do I, I don't have any reason to think they're laughing at me. They, they, I don't even think they notice that I'm here. I haven't done anything unusual. So it would be, you know, it, it's unreasonable for me to assume that they're laughing at me. Right. And, and literally teach yourself to say that in your head because uh, that will, then it, it typically for most people, then that will immediately calm that emotion down.
1: Um, right. Cause you're not being, cause you're letting your, brain's automatic response come up like your subconscious thought come up first Uh and you're literally believing it right and then you're so by your awareness and helping with the awareness of the thought then at least you're kind of like well you know giving yourself some uh, like uh logical feedback i guess is kind of how you describe it's logical feedback to your brain
2: right right yeah
1: you know since you're still in that state of you're having all this conversation in your head anyway. Right. Why right. not have one that's gonna benefit you?
2: Exactly. Until
1: you can get yourself to the point of not having it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Anyway. One
2: my, <laughs>
3: you just said this about beliefs, right? Well, I love with that phrase you use, because one of my favorite things to sit, talk with clients about is just because you think it doesn't mean you have to believe it
1: right oh yes totally totally but we believe we're we're programmed somehow i don't know if it's as childhood whatever but somehow we get this like programming that we have to believe everything we tell ourselves right especially about ourselves
3: exactly exactly
1: maybe not about other things but well especially about ourselves on the negative side of ourselves yeah exactly like you know
3: Right. It's so, for many, many people, it's so easy to believe all those negative things. But then, you know, just as a great example of that is I will will ask somebody to tell me 10 things about themselves that are really positive. And it's, you know, it's a combination of how we're socialized and, you know, a a lot of other reasons. But if I ask somebody to tell me 10 negative things, they're like, bang, 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 right? And then if I ask somebody tell me 10 really positive things, no matter, pretty much no matter who it is, they stammer, you know, because there's part of it is there's this reluctance to not, they don't know, they don't want to seem like they're bragging. And I'm like, brag, I'm your therapist. I want you to brag about yourself. And even then it becomes very difficult, um, for, for people to say 10 things about themselves that are really positive. Um, And so that's, that's going along with what you're saying about, you know, learning, learning to believe things that are bright, you know, learning to believe automatic thoughts that that are really positive. Like I can do this. There's, you know, I am an, I am an interesting person. People do like talking to me, you know, things like that. Um, And, and that's, um, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a learned, it's a skill that you can learn. And because like you said, for many of us, childhood experiences, you know, family of origin stuff, you know, whatever we start, we, 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 we jump immediately to negative thoughts rather than positive ones.
1: Right. Totally. Totally. We do that. And we, and then we, and then we believe them. And right. then, but just like, just like we learn that skill, we can also learn this new skill.
2: Exactly
3: and,
1: and retrain our brain
2: right.
3: into
1: having new automatic thoughts
3: right right, exactly anyway, and, and one of the things that I compared retraining our brain to with my clients is the idea is is it's just like learning to you know run a 10k it you know when you first start you can only you can run a mile, maybe maybe you can run a half a mile right. But you can learn to run a 10k and how do you do that you have to run a little bit every day and that's why the type of therapy that we're talking about is something that is so so much more effective if done on a daily basis than if done just once a week in you know in in therapy sessions and and so finding different ways to motivate people to practice it every day is can be a challenge, because it's so easy to fall back, you know, and another thing I get very often in my office is when we're in here and we're talking, I believe what you're saying, right? I believe that there's no reason to think they're laughing at me. But then, you know, three days from now when it's a Friday and I'm trying to join a group, you know, at a, um, Uh, a social event, I, I, I believe they're laughing at me. Right. And so it's, it's this idea of really encouraging people to just a little bit every day is what does that retraining and that restructuring um, in your brain Um, because um, it's, there's two things that happen is, When we get emotionally stimulated, like so you know, we walk into a crowded room, our anxiety goes up. We lose our ability to think rationally, the higher our our level of um, emotional stimulation is, right? And so So that's why what we want to do is we want to have these quick, tiny responses memorized in our head. So when we do get triggered emotionally, we have access to that response. And you're way more likely to do that if you practice when you're calm and you're feeling rational. And so it's, again, I just, you know, the more I, I always bring it back to, um, you know, Tra- like t- It's training just like like physical training for something weight training you know anything like that is a little bit every day and you're gonna, it's going to be much more likely that you're going to be successful um, when you're when you're actually in a situation
1: oh yeah, I agree with you hundred percent because that's kind of like with my own like the thought download process just doing that on a re- the, the days I'm more even because i've done it regular but when, and when I do it the day regular, the more consistent I'm at it, the better I notice, a better week I have even. Uh-huh. Only because I'm more aware of what are my thoughts and I'm able to do the stuff like what you talk about or like, <laughs> or am I, no wonder I feel like that, I'm thinking that. Or, you know, when, no wonder I act like that, I'm thinking that. Right. And, it's, and it makes it, and you're right, because then that makes, and I think what comes up and what happens is that makes a new automatic response for you. Mm -hmm. so it's just like anyone that you know they're in the process of let's say they decided not to drink anymore and they go to a situation Mm -hmm. where they normally would have well you've got you've got to put yourself there and you've got to practice because you got to feel everything that's going to happen right so that you can so that your brain because of course your brain is going to automatically go to what it used to go to on automatic Mm -hmm. like order whatever the drink was and then you have to oh wait now I'm ordering club soda or right. whatever it is you decided. Mm-hmm. So you have to put yourself there and practice, but that's the hard part mm-hmm. is getting yourself to do the practice. And I think that's why, you know, that's why I think it's awesome that you're giving people tips to practice on their own and encouraging people to do it on their own. Right. So what was the role play that we were going to do? do? you want to, you know, we, we forgot all yeah. about that role play. Yeah. I
2: know. I know. <laughs>
3: well like I said i didn't i didn't i didn't tell you in advance i was going to do this so but so let me just describe it really quick and then you can tell me whether you think it'll be helpful so it's the idea is, is is in addition to restructuring thoughts we want we want to be able to when we like you said if we when we're still stuck in that place where we're having a conversation in our head anyway right
1: right yes yeah.
3: We might as well have it be a productive conversation, right? And so, what this—an uh, exercise that I—I I try to teach people is learning assertive responses. And so, that what that means is—is is like when your brain is saying something to you, which it's it's typically very negative. You want to be able to say something back. And so, I'll just do some examples here of like, so if you, you know, your brain says, you're shaking, is something wrong with you? And then learning in your head to say, although we role play this out loud in my office, you can say, there's nothing wrong with me. I just get anxious in social situations, right? The idea is normalizing, um, you know, what's going on and being able to, when you have, it's like, it's like the good, good brain, bad brain, right? You know, the devil and the angel, you know, and, and we all have that. And so what we, we really want to strengthen the good guy part because bad guy part is, is pretty strong in most people who have social anxiety. So we want to do is strengthen back, um, you know, things that you can say, you can say back to the bad guy part. Is that, is that a helpful explanation?
1: Yes, I get I get it. Like so okay. you're yeah, so you're kinda of, well cause some people in some of the books I've read, some one somebody, somebody calls it like lizard brain.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So, you know, exactly. the good guy, bad guy. So you're talking to the lizard brain, so the lizard brain shows up.
3: Exactly.
1: coming. and what are you gonna say back to lizard brain? Exactly. Kind of
2: right. Right.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah, okay. Okay, so um I'm gonna be um the bad guy. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, Oh, really? Okay. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Go ahead. Be the bad guy. (laughs) Uh,
3: You you look kind of funny standing there all by yourself. Don't you have any
1: friends? I have friends. I just arrived here.
3: Oh, well, um, I hope you're not planning on going over and talking to that girl because there's no way she's going to want to be your friend.
1: Really? How do you know that?
3: Well, it's happened in the past. You do it all the time. Everybody rejects you.
1: Well, that's what I used to think. Everybody rejects me. But I'm practicing a different thought now.
3: Oh, well, you need to listen to me because I keep you safe. I've been in your head your whole life, and I'm the one that keeps you safe from making a fool of yourself.
1: Is that true? I don't know, because I'm always isolating myself with you around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That like. yeah. but is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Like,
2: that's, that's really good.
3: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And do, just, do you see how that might be helpful for someone to learn how to do that?
1: Oh, yes, totally. And I think that people in, like, you know, the listeners that we have, the ones – because I what I see a lot and what I get questions a lot about is – how do I answer people when they say, why do I, why am I not drinking now? Uh-huh. There's a lot of anxiety around that oh, and a- about not wanting to show up. So I think this would be an ideal thing to practice
3: exactly.
1: in because it's really because what really goes on. And even for myself, I had a lot of that going on in my head too, thinking of how horrible it was going to be and all the questions I was going to get.
2: Right. Cause
1: it was, it was lizard brain. Telling me all the things that was going to happen. Right. So what actually happened is nobody cared. Yeah, exactly. The truth was like nobody cared. Nobody cared. I, know. I think only one person actually. Right. It wasn't. But we have, and even myself, are. It's like people have that so built up. Yep. In their head. So I think this is a perfect kind of a thing to practice for that yep. too. Is. Yeah. It, because what if it does actually happen? What if, the, you know, just like we do, you know, there are people in society that there are mean people, Right. but if you've already kind of practiced what you're going to say and you've got your confidence going exactly. and you've kind of done it already out loud anyway, before you get there, yep. you're going to be able to, to better handle the situation.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Because from what we talked about in the very beginning, this definition of anxiety, right? It's 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 a fear that something's going to happen. That's part of it. But then the, the, what, but the, what makes it so much stronger, the fear stronger, is, the, is your idea that, okay, if this happens, I won't be able to handle it, right?
1: Right, so, right.
3: So the if this you, so you work on first this thought of is if it is this going to happen and the likelihood of it is very small right that's the first part but then then the reason we do these other exercises because it it will happen at some point right I mean there right to yeah. have an example like you 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 did a great one about you know why why aren't you drinking are you an alcoholic or something you know are you an addict what's wrong with you know what I mean and so right. But recognizing, having the confidence that says, you know, okay, this is not very likely that it's going to happen. But if it does, I can handle it. I'm not going to fall apart. I'm going to be fine, right? That really pulls down anxiety for people, and that's what this exercise is all about.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome. I'm glad we we didn't. I'm glad we didn't practice. But
2: <laughs> yeah, I know it's part of. As far... I've clearly been practicing on myself. <laughs>
1: Really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so what are some of the ways for people that have kind of like, they want to take, let's say they go and they take the test that we talked about that we're going to have in the show notes mm-hmm. and they find that they are on the side of, you know, they have social anxiety, that what's really going on with them is social anxiety. Right. How would they actually find help? Okay. So, so the, there's a good
3: there's good news and there's bad news with that so social anxiety is extraordinarily responsive to treatment but it it's 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 extraordinarily responsive to a specific type of treatment right and so
1: okay
3: there are a lot of people out there who are trained in treating social anxiety there are a lot of people out there who are not and And use different approaches that in fact can be detrimental to someone with social anxiety. So what I recommend to people are there's there's two websites and I'll give you the details so you can have them in your show notes, but the one of the first one is the National Social Anxiety Center. And that website is all spelled out with those four words. And they have um, a lot of great information on um, how to treat social anxiety, how to recognize it. But they also have um, a a wonderful um, look for a therapist, you know, search by location on that website. Another one that's really good is um, it's adaa.org. It's the Association, Amer- Association of Anxiety and Depression. Hang on, I always get this wrong. Anxiety and Depression Association of America. So it's adaa.org. Um, and, and they have an even larger uh, therapist search list um, where you can look for someone close to you. Uh, to treat it. The other thing that's so, I think, wonderful is that now there's so many more people that, are, that will treat via online therapy or telehealth. Um, and so you may not find somebody that's in your neighborhood that um, is treating social anxiety specifically, but you this is something that is, um, is, is very treatable using um, you know, Skype-type um, um, treatment approaches.
1: So you're talking about video chat style treatment mm-hmm. approaches. Is
3: exactly. that what you mean?
1: Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there is that option out there and now, is it a particular type of therapy they should look for? Is it the cognitive therapy that yes. is specifically mm-hmm. helpful for this?
3: Yeah. It's under the model okay. the, cause the model that I described almost all aspects of it, it's a, that's a, um, it's a that's a multi- you know multimodal model if you will, but the primary pieces the primary pieces of it are cognitive behavioral therapy and and the mindfulness is thrown into that and some other um the technique that that we used where we did the role play is not something that's that's is considered classic cognitive therapy but um it's it's in it's in that um family of dis- of treatment approaches so okay. yeah looking for a cognitive behavioral therapist is, is very helpful.
1: So that's uh if they can't find someone that would be workable for them, at least someone that has the cognitive behavioral therapy part uh-huh. as their treatment plan. Option. Yeah.
3: yeah. And, and, you know, because okay. I mean, that's obviously my bias because that's the type of treatment that I do, but, but it's certainly helpful to, you know, it, for any type of time you're going to treat, seek therapy for any any treat. excuse me, when anytime you're going to seek therapy, to talk to the therapist and ask them if they have experience treating social anxiety. And if they say yes, it, the, then it doesn't, you know, you, it, you don't necessarily have to have these certain, you know, credentials or or initials after your name, I think, you know, just having a conversation with the treatment professional and saying, you know, do you treat social anxiety? Do you have experience in that? And, and if they say yes, then that's a great place to start.
1: Okay. Okay. And then I think for people having listened to just kind of know, like, even if they want to ask further questions about, is it mindfulness they work with or some of the areas that we talked about, right. like what type how of- they work and what, what type of, you know, processes do they utilize mm-hmm. will also help.
3: Exactly. And, and the, like I mentioned, what we were talking earlier, do you do a uh, do you do a group approach as it individual therapy? Because social anxiety, I think, it's, it for obvious reasons, is a group situation is, I, is is for some people better than individual therapy, because you can practice, you know, you practice doing public speaking. You can practice, you know, going out and challenging yourself to do things with a, if you have a group. Um, and and get honest feedback also from
1: other group members. So, um, okay. And then this group, um, that can they also do the group kind of stuff? Do they do it via like a video style chat? Uh,
3: I've never done uh, group therapy uh, uh, with a video style chat. I've only oh, ever okay, it okay, in person. But that doesn't mean that it's not it's not possible. So
1: okay, okay. Only because I think some of the, um, like for, especially flight attendants, like that I work with and stuff, our schedules are so different yep. that we find it hard to fit in, you know, the same week, same group, same what, I, and, but, I, but I can see how doing it as a group, with a group would totally help, right. it's, especially with the social anxiety side. Right, okay. and,
3: there, and there's different ways you can incorporate groups to help with your treatment. For example, if you're if you know a group of flight attendants that are seeking that are you know feel like they have social anxiety, it's fine to say, "Hey, my therapist asked me to do this. You know, can we can you know can we all get online and talk about you know and do like do a role play like you and I just did. You know, there's different ways that that you the more that if we're in treatment really for anything that we talk about it share with other people it's going to be it's going to be more in our brains right it's going to be more in that working right. and any so that's another great way to use groups if you're open to doing that Um, so i just you know i think there's lots of options for people out there
1: um, okay okay that's awesome so i mean i'm thrilled that you were on here today and we talked about this topic because it so fits in. Because I know there's probably a lot of people that are self-medicating themselves with alcohol, even if they figured out maybe it didn't quite work, but yet they still repeatedly doing it just to re- just to relieve the anxiety side,
2: yeah, of yeah.
1: what's going on for them.
2: Right. And
1: there are there is another answer. There mm-hmm. is a um, you know there is a way to there is a better solution. <laughs> you know, and, and I can see how totally the showing up and using alcohol and then that you've gone too far with the alcohol and you've lost all senses, mm-hmm. it can totally, you know, exaggerate the situation because it's about judgment and mm-hmm. shame and what people are thinking about you and you have no idea what you actually did. Right. Or exactly. said.
2: Exactly.
3: You know. Exactly. So, That's that vicious cycle, right? That spiral downward that, you know, happens to people.
1: Yeah. Right. Thanks so much for being on here today, and everybody did all the things. Uh, everything will be in the show notes, and at the front of the episode is where I'll put in like the episode number, so they'll be able to find the show notes and stuff. Great. So, uh, thanks for being on here again.
0: You have been listening to Exit the Drinking Life podcast with Debbie Talbert. It is my honor, pleasure, and joy. To come to you each and every week with insight, information, ideas, tools, and tips to help you exit the drinking life. If you'd like to know more about how you can work with me directly, then go to jumpseatcoaching.com, And there you can find out everything I offer and how we can connect and work together directly.